Welcome to Amazon Legends, where we have real stories about making it big on Amazon. Our guests are CEOs of large companies and entrepreneurs who became power sellers, also providers specializing in helping sellers, aggregators that acquire sellers, and former Amazonians will give us an insight from behind the scenes. Here is your host, Nick Urison. Welcome to another episode of Amazon Legends. My next guest today is a digital marketing expert. He's been in this space for over a decade now, and almost a decade. And today he is the co-founder of, uh, you know, time flies when you're having fun. So decades go <laughs> very quickly. So uh, he today he's the co-founder of Straight Up Growth, uh, which is an Amazon growth agency. And when he's not working, he likes to play with his with dogs that he rescues. Uh, and also concerts, so uh, hopefully not at the same time. So uh, with that, <laughs> we uh, meet my guest, Daniel Tejada. Welcome to the show, Daniel. Thanks for having me on, Nick. Super excited to uh, connect here today. Uh, I'm going to have to learn more about how rescuing dogs and concerts go together, but that's later. So <laughs> tell me something at Amazon, as an Amazon growth agency, what do you do very well at straight, straight up growth? Yeah, great question. Uh, you know, I think our name implies a lot of, of what we do, right? We really help brands to take their sales and take them straight up, you know, uh, and really focus on growth uh, on the Amazon channel in particular, you know, we obviously do other marketplaces, uh, but yeah, growth is, is a big piece of what we do. So how do you drive growth? Break it down for us. Great question. So for us, you know, we take a, we, we focus a lot on organic revenue growth in particular is a big, big piece of what we do. Um, and so coming in, you know, doing what we call a competitive analysis or category analysis in this, the category, uh, understand, you know, basically how, what it's going to take to get us to win in the category. And then really what we do is we hyper-focus on what we can do to improve our organic visibility on non-branded search terms on Amazon to really, really grow organic revenue over time. Okay, so competitive research is where you start, right? So walk us through how that competitive research uh, is found and, and how it's used. Yeah, great question. So let's say I'm looking to launch, you know, an item in the, I don't know, beauty space, right, uh, here, and I'm going to launch some sort of face cream, right, um, there. One of the most important pieces for us really comes down to that, uh, that initial research to get an understanding of what it's going to take to actually launch in this category, right? So we're going into our, we're, we're starting with proper expectations rather than, you know, just, to, just launching to launch, like, you know, like we're doing plainly. So, first thing we do is we usually take some sort of sales estimator tool. Uh, you've got your Jungle Scouts, your Helium 10, right? There's a lot of uh, different software tools out there that that allow you to uh, get some sales estimates. Um, and so that'll usually get us uh, what we call size of the price, right? So now we'll know, okay, there's $5 million a month in sales just across these 42 items, uh, for example, the page one items on, on a term like face wash. Uh, from there, we can then extrapolate what search terms those products actually rank on um, there. And so we can use things like brain analytics. Uh, there's other software tools that provide additional insights uh, in data there, but even using Amazon's brain analytics, you can now see where your competitors are market leader on. 
What that allows us to do is see things like search volumes, types of search terms that we're gonna go after uh, and how competitive those terms are. Cause ultimately that's gonna factor into, you know, what we need to spend from an advertising perspective. Uh, it also usually gives us a baseline of reviews, right? So different review thresholds, depending on the competitiveness of the search term are gonna provide different conversion rates. Um, and so if we know like face wash, for example, the average seller is gonna have, you know, maybe seven, 10,000 reviews per item. So if I know that I'm launching in that category, I can expect that my conversion rates are going to start below average if I'm launching an item that's net new, right? Um, we may be launching an item that already has reviews. And so that's, we do factor that into the predictability piece where, okay, now there might be already existing advertising or sales data. So that's the next threshold after the category analysis is, is there any existing data that we can use to model out? what it's going to take us to actually rank. So we're, we're really big on these forecasting models um, that we build on our end. Um, and so if I know your ads data, where you convert at, um, I know where your wasted spend is, I'll know where your branded versus non-branded spend is if, if there's existing data. Uh, that provides, uh, it can provide statistical significance to make that forecast essentially more accurate. Um, and then from there, we really get to work, right? And that's where, uh, we do take a pretty holistic approach to growth from there. So one, setting yourself up for success, right? Having a, a listing that is strong, right? That is going to convert at a high rate um, is one of the things that we also do on our end. So we make sure that we uh, add, you know, fully maximize your product photos. And we're actually inputting a, what we call a USP or unique selling point directly in the product images themselves. So we love to add text to our photos. Every single one of our images uh, will typically have some sort of USP. Uh, we're going to set up A-plus content, uh, particularly A-plus premium, if we can, uh, being able to add the video you know, directly into A-plus in, in a mobile-friendly fashion can be a great way to help with conversion rate. Uh, and then third, but not least, is the actual ad spend, right? So the ad spend is what's going to enable you to actually start to rank better organically, right? But because at this point, we know, you know how competitive it's going to be, we've already figured out a model for a forecast on what spend by month and what expected total sales we're going to hit. So including the lift organically, right? And then we're actually executing on building out a listing and implementing the ads, uh, ad strategy. And that's, what's going to allow us to see that growth, right? So overall, when we mix it up together, we call it predictable growth because we've now hit all of those pre-steps to know what our KPIs need to be to actually hit our overall goals. And then it just comes down to the execution, right, uh, on the next part. And we're just making sure that we are executing based on you know, our original forecast there. So there's quite a few things here we, I'd like to dive into. Yeah. But first and foremost, there is something I, I quote. So when we are launching, mm -hmm. we first check the market size. In other words, how? So let's start there. Mm -hmm. uh, what you are doing is you're using one of these tools, Helium 10 or Jungle Scout, and I'm familiar with Helium 10. So Helium 10 has this thing called X-Ray. So you can do a search with in, in Amazon search bar and then use X-Ray, and then you can see exactly all the listings on that page one. Yep. Collectively, how much business they are generating. Yep. Right. So that's the step-by-step, step, so to speak, way to find. Okay, fine. So now we are going on the, the launch of a new listing. So at that point, you have an idea what it is. And then 
you start doing your keyword research in terms of what keywords are generating. You can use your brand analytics. If you are a registered uh, brand on Amazon and you are on brand registry, you'll have access to brand analytics. Uh, you can use that. You can use product opportunity explorer, right? So that's something that will give you. So you basically you're gathering the keywords. Uh, one thing I'm not clear on your methodology that ties back to the ad spend, projecting the ad spend. Mm -hmm. I heard you mention, you look at the historical data. This is a new launch. There is no historical data. So talk to us about how you go about getting started with the without historical forecast. Yeah, great question. So in lieu of let's say any sort of existing data, right? So if when we're doing a, a net new product launch, what we're going to use in our forecasting model is historical averages uh, to start to, to essentially create a baseline. Now we like to start more conservative. So we have different, let's say starting conversion rates um, that we'll have based on different categories, right? So um, if it's a less competitive category, conversion rates might start higher, right? If it's a lower price point item, conversion points conversion rates might start higher, right? If we start dealing with higher price points, we're going to start with a lower baseline conversion rate, for example, if the price is like higher than the average price in the market. Um, so those are little factors that we'll use to sort of cheat. Uh, but then basically what we do is just use baselines, right? So certain categories, we might start with a 7% conversion rate, right? Other categories, we may start closer to 10%. Um, just kind of depends on the nature of the product. Uh, the by, by conversion rate, you're referring to the conversion rate on the ad campaign? Advertising, or? yep. Okay, typically, so what we'll do is, yeah, advertising. And then we also typically factor in like an average starting cost per click bid as well, right? So we don't know where this where they're going to start. So what we do is we typically start on the more conservative end, right? If I'm dealing with a category like supplements, I know that supplements are the most competitive category on Amazon. So I'm going to start with the most, with our highest range on our cost per click bids. Um, They're typically in a forecast. Uh, if I go to something like food, right? Food is one of our beauty, some of the highest converting, you know, um, segments that can start, right? So we'll probably cheat and start with a little bit of a higher conversion rate, you know, in some of those categories compared to, you know, a category like maybe electronics where I'm selling expensive electronics, right? I'm going to start in the lower range of conversion rate because that historically you need to get some reviews to actually like get uh, get adoption, right? Um, so in lieu of existing data, you know, it's not, it's not a bad thing to plug in uh, averages, right? Or guesses, but my recommendation there, pro tip is be more conservative, right? Because at the end of the day, if you don't have any existing data, you'd rather not be shocked. And you can also model it out a couple different ways too, right? Where you can model it out maybe with a low converting, high CPC, and you can also model one out that maybe is high converting, low CPC as well. So you can see what it looks like in the worst case, and you can also see what it looks like in the best case scenario. So, okay, let's break that down a little bit. So you are going into, so we're talking about launching new listing, there's yep. no historical data. So you have gathered your search terms that you're going to bid on. So, and on those search terms, you know what kind of volume exists. Right. So you're saying, okay, this is the potential number of uh, impressions yeah. that are available. Yeah. So, 
And you also know on those search terms, what is a bid, how much you're gonna bid on those. So, but how do you determine how much you're gonna bid? Because you have all kinds of different, you can have multiple campaigns, you can bid on the same term in, you know, broad uh, match, exact match, you know, you, you name it. So how do you know what is the total cost of advertising is going to be that you will budget? Yeah, great question. So essentially what we're doing, right, is we're creating an average of all of those pieces. So we don't know what our cost per click is going to be, for example, for sponsored display compared to, let's say, our sponsored products compared to our sponsored brand or sponsored brand video, right? Um, and so what we're doing is we're just creating a sum of the total, you know, at a product level, essentially, um, there. And then we're also basically factoring in a percentage of ads-driven sales that improves over time, right, to, to factor in the organic ranking strategy to what we do as well. Um, so when we think of the forecasting model, right, it's not a exact map, right, especially if we don't have any existing data, but what it's going to do is give us a high, basically a highly educated guess as to where this product can end up, right? Um, now, one of the things with the forecast is we think of it like a a living document, right? So rather than we build a forecast model once uh, and call it a day, right? We're gonna build a forecast model and then we're gonna reforecast when we actually start to get some existing data into. So once we start getting our cost per clicks in, we start getting our conversion rates, we're gonna make adjustments to the forecast based on that data. Um, but starting with the baseline allows you to start to see roughly what it might take to get you there, right? So it's not, a, it's not an exact science, but it's a great guideline. Um, there. It's also a way where, let's say, you know, we did this for a client, for example, where we launched in the keto category, right, recently. Net new, we didn't have any ads data, um, you know, very competitive category, right? So through our analysis, you know, given what the, the uh, client had offered us in regards to being able to run promotions, what kind of budgets they had and things like that, when we built out a forecast, you know, we knew that they weren't really going to make uh, break even till month seven, right? Uh, they were dealing with one of the most competitive categories out there. You know, we built it more conservative on purpose so that the client obviously wouldn't be disappointed and knew like, look, there is potential in this market, but we have to be very aggressive for a, a fairly long period of time before we actually hit that break even point. Um, and so with this client, they decided let's, let's give it a go, right? We like the data, you know, we like the potential there. Um, we like the break-even point makes sense for us. And so we, uh, you know, we launched that item. Month seven was literally the first month that we broke even, right? Um, so exactly like the forecast kind of stated through that, there were certain adjustments. So we actually converted at a much higher rate um, than we expected. Our cost per clicks were also slightly higher than we expected, right? So they did offset each other um, in terms of cost, but it was an adjustment we had to make as the, um, as the forecast came in, right? Fast forward two years later, uh, at this point, you know, we are the number one item in the keto category, right? Uh, for there, we're doing it at like a 5% tacos, right? I did close to $1.4 million oh, on, on two items tough. last month. Uh, 5% is very Yeah, enough. so it's it's crazy, right? Um, there, once you get going, but literally this is a brand that we broke even on, right? So our tacos was so aggressive in the beginning, um, but that predictable growth piece was helpful, right? So we knew what we were getting into. We knew what kind of budgets we needed to spend. I knew enough to tell the client, hey, we don't make any money until this point. Does this work for you guys, right? Um, and then at that point, works for client. Every month now we're just checking in and making sure that we're making adjustments to hit the forecast, right? So 
if my conversion rates are too low, I need to adjust my ad spend to focus on the higher converting terms that, that I had in the forecast, right? Um, if my CPCs are too high, then maybe I need to bid down on certain search terms and focus my spend to hit what I hit in the forecast, right? And then as long as you do that, now you're going to hit your overall numbers the way that you want. Um, you're able to still be aggressive if needed, right? Because the client knows this is the path we're going to take. Um, there are other instances where, you know, we could have launched that same client and maybe they wanted to grow more profitably, but they would have grown slower, right? And that's a, that's okay too. There's another way we can model that out. Um, but that's why this modeling becomes so valuable is because now we know which how aggressive do we want to be uh, based on your, you know, uh, as a brand, right? Based on your goals for, for those individual products. So uh, I want to go back to the, the planning the forecasting yeah. model, building that model. So uh, you have the search terms, you have the bid, of course, you have your, your cost per click, whatever, as an average, and you know your total universe of you know what the search volume is on those keywords. So the goal is now to get your share of the visibility when yep. you show up, whether it's this campaign, that campaign, whatever. But you can't just go straight to conversion because there's first thing is what is the share of the impressions you're going to be able to appear uh, for? Mm -hmm. That's the first thing. So that's one percentage. Then the next thing is, so in other words, uh, let's say, uh, I don't know, uh, pillow covers. Yeah, that Maybe there are 100,000 searches yep. for search term pillow cover you're going to get maybe 10% of that. So you're going to appear 10,000 times. Okay, so before we get to conversion, we have to now say, okay, we will appear under 10% uh, under 10,000 searches. Mm -hmm. Okay, under those 10,000 searches, that means that you are going to appear somewhere on page one doing the bidding. Mm -hmm. uh, X percent of the people will click. So, of course, there is a whole different discussion about increasing your click-through rate. But nevertheless, X percent is going to click through that listing. So that's the next percentage that you have to factor in. Now you are on the product detail page. Now the goal is to get the person to buy it. Of course, at the beginning, you have no reviews blah, 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 it will be lower. And as you get reviews, it will be higher. But nevertheless, the number of people that purchase on the product detail page uh, will base uh, compared to number of people landed on the product detail page. That is your true conversion rate. So uh, now when you factor in all three, and then finally out of the 100,000 searches, you have X number of purchases, of course, that's a conversion, but really that doesn't really tell you much. So my question to you is break it down for us in your modeling, how you approach these three phases and what are some, share with us some numbers that you take as baseline. Yeah, great question. So basically, right, it comes down to sessions, right? Essentially, if you're looking at your seller central, it's the overall number of unique visitors you get to your product listings a month, right? Um, there. Uh, and so that's really what we're looking at is how much, how many 
uh, visitors are we getting to our individual products? And then what is our overall unit session percentage, right? And so that's going to be the basically your conversion rate uh, overall, right? So not just your advertising, but your advertising plus your organic, right, equals that. So that's really all we're doing as, as Amazon sellers, right, is trying to increase the number of sessions and then trying to improve overall conversion rates. Um, so I'll say, you know, those KPIs can vary, right, um, in terms of what our thresholds are. But typically, right, if you think about sessions as a whole, right, if you're getting less than 2,000 visitors per month to your product listings, it's a very low percentage chance you're going to be doing high volume, right, um, there. There's also a pretty low percentage chance that you have a lot of organic visibility, right, if you're seeing less than 2,000 sessions a month, um, just because of how great the volume is on Amazon in general, right? So like you mentioned, you can start to back into some of the metrics uh, in terms of like overall traffic and things like that based on search volumes. Um, I like the 10% threshold that you used, right? That's not a bad threshold there. Um, you know, certain categories, like in the keto category, for example, we're taking anywhere from 50 to 70% of all conversions against our search terms. So once you really rank, you can really take some incredible, incredible amounts of market share on individual search terms there. Um, but for us, it's less about the individual search term and it's more about the overall sessions, right? And the overall conversion rates there. Um, conversion rates, I'll say, do vary, you know, anywhere from, uh, we like to use like 12%, above 12% is typically what we consider high converting, um, especially for lower price point items. If you start going into higher price point, those thresholds will change, right? We might go down to like 5% if you're selling an item above, you know, like $250, right? Now, 5% is probably a good conversion rate. If you're selling an item over $1,000, right? Now, 2% is a great conversion rate. Um, there. So price is definitely a factor. Um, in Seller Central, you actually have the ability to get baseline overall unit session percentages uh, within some of the data that Amazon provides, right? So rather than trying to figure it out on your own, um, you can also look in your Seller Central account and there are places to find out what the category conversion rates are as well. So you can start to figure out a baseline. If I'm below, you know, if the average category conversion rate is 12%, I'm converting at an 8%. I know that I'm missing four percentage points, right? And so that is an indicator to us. We should be taking a look at our listing, right? Um, there, is there something missing in the listing, which is why we're converting at a lower rate than what um, our competitors, you know, convert on as well. Um, then there is- Where, where do you get that uh, category uh, conversion rates on Amazon, on, on in Seller Central? So I'll have to follow up with you uh, on that piece there on like instructions on how to do it. Cause I know we have API access to Amazon. So at this point we're pulling a lot of stuff directly from the API um, there. There is a place directly in, I forget if it's brand analytics or if it's in like the inventory reports, but there is a, a place where we can actually get those, those baselines. Um, there is one other place to get baselines and this is for traffic and that's called uh brand metrics, which is in the advertising council, console specifically, um, that will give you based on which subcategory you choose uh, of your products, it will show you where you stack up in regards to things like branded searches uh, compared to your competitors. It will show you how your overall conversion rate compares to your competitors. Uh, it will also show you how your branded searches compare to your competitors as well. So it will give you a median and it'll give you a top 5% uh, on where the, the brands are at there. So that's also a good barometer. A lot of people don't know about brand metrics, but it's it's got a lot of uh, good
good good data and insights in there compared to and brand metrics is part of brand analytics or is it's within it's part the of advertising. the advertising console specifically um there so if if you go into you know the advertising console there's a a, a little widget that says brand metrics if you click into that um so brand metrics is separate than brand analytics um right. there. So it's going to have a different different data set there um okay okay i understand so um so at the beginning, so what you are saying is take a look at the total search volume. And then once you, because this is a brand new launch, there is no uh, report yet on your unit, you know, total uh, sessions and unit session percentage, which is the conversion rate. Yep. Uh, so, which by the way, as you know, Amazon changed the calculation on how they calculate that, right? You know that recently. Yeah, I noticed that where you're like, okay, now I don't know what to go with. Uh, well, they they uh, they just for the listeners' benefit. So if you go to your business reports and you go to detail page sales, yeah, yeah, under your business reports at child skew, child ASIN level, you can download that report yeah, for a particular time frame, and one of the columns is unit session percentage. So. Uh, what Amazon did was if you had one visitor to the product detail page and that visitor made a purchase, that would be a conversion. So unit session percentage would be one visitor, one sale, 100%. Yeah. But if that visitor bought three pieces, Amazon would calculate that as 300. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So recently they changed that calculation because it's a false calculation at the end of the day. So now it goes by, so the, the number that's reported as unique session percentage is number of visitor, number of uh, orders. orders. So immediately that made a huge impact on conversion rate. So people started to feel bad, oh, my conversion rate. So uh, that's something to keep in mind. If you're looking at those reports, historically, you're going to see the conversion rates report uh, lower. Now, what is the, this is another thing. People say, oh, you know, these reports are available in Seller Central. I can look at it. It makes no difference what those reports are available in Seller Central because anytime you're looking at it, you're going to look at it for a particular time frame. And then when you click to download, you're going to download a set uh, number of, you know, those columns yeah. going. So, but you need to be able to see it over a time frame, right? So you can see, and then you want to be able to drill down on daily basis. And also if you started doing things like running ad campaign or, um, or suddenly you posted something in social media or you changed the product, the main picture, or you added a plus, uh, content those events will you will want to know what kind of an impact they made so give us your take on how you make sense of all these so many things changing at the same time yeah i think that's that's huge right it's it's like a lot of people talk about you know all these things you can look at right but like when you're running an account on a day-to-day -day basis sometimes it can be hard to see that right and so i think reporting is really 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 important right um to understand like what you're looking at um, visualization can be huge as well, right? Um, there, like 
like you mentioned, like looking at a small, you know, if I'm looking at the last seven days, right. Or some sellers look at their sales every single day. Right. And it's like, when you're looking on a daily basis, it's too small of a time frame to really see trends and changes, right. You're, you're really looking at too small of a data set. And so being able to look back on historical changes over time is, is really key um, there. Uh, I think, you know, whatever you're using from a reporting standpoint for, for sellers, my, my best advice is to like, look at the big timeframes, right? How are things changing from a month over month basis? How are things changing from a year over year basis? Um, there, uh, I think also being able to understand KPIs, like, you know, your wasted or non-converting spend, your branded versus your non-branded spend, you know, your percentage of organic sales, um, and really staying organized, right? Depending on how big your catalog can be, um, it's helpful to have reporting that you can extrapolate this data by product uh, there. I like to, to be able to, to recommend that towards brands, um, but really like just visualization, looking at long enough time periods where you can see trends versus like, you know, uh, versus just like day to day, you're going to have trends in your sales, right? But like there's sometimes there's a lower search volume, right? Things like that. So looking at bigger time periods, uh, I think is really, really key. Uh, and setting targets for yourself is key as well, right? Like what should, what am I expecting to hit from an organic sales as a percentage this month, right? What am I expecting to spend this month? What am I expecting to convert at this month? Um, you might not always hit those, but if you have those targets, now you can work towards adjusting things to hit those, right? If I'm coming in, I'm not converting high enough, why are we not converting high enough? Do we need to take a look at the listing? Do we need to consider promotions? Um, there are competitors running a lot of deals, right? What is the thing that we need to do? Um, so I think having targets set, but also having a good reporting suite um, or some sort of like good place to house your data is important as well so that you can uh, not, not go in blind, right? Not just say, okay, my sessions are down. Okay, my conversion rate's down, but what am I doing because of that? You know, yeah. I think what you said is key. Uh, looking at your data over time is key. Uh, looking at downloading reports and then looking at them once in a while is not good. So if you are downloading data and looking at it, you you got to have something that you can plug that data in, in a pre-built Excel or whatever that will help you visualize it. Because yeah. looking at numbers won't tell the story, but looking at those trends, you can find these trends by visualizing that data. So um Visualizing is key. Looking at it over time is key. And then also looking at it at the same time for the same time period is key, right? So, so you know, look at it in the morning one day and then in the evening another day. It, it makes no sense because you're not looking at the full picture. So I always say, be careful, you know, because you can really justify your decisions by selectively picking which is the problem, really. You know, the government does that all the time. They selectively pick this data and then they say, oh, you know, this is the reason why we're doing it. Of yeah. course, it's like polling. So, um, okay. So as far as the whole organic aspect of it, because I understand having the paid traffic, you know, and then driving it and then bidding and, you know, calculating uh, I understand looking at the data, but how do you drive the organic growth? Where does yeah. that come? From? Great question. So organic sales really are driven by two main factors, right? Um, there, 
Uh, organically, your position basically off something called your relevancy score, which is how relevant Amazon deems your, this can be done at a child ASIN level, uh, how relevant your child ASIN is to a particular search term. Uh, there's some outside factors, but for the most part, the main way that you're ranking, right, is based on how competitive is that search term? So really how many orders per day are sold against that particular search query in Amazon's mind? And then what percentage of those sales do you need to actually get to top of search? Uh, now, the unique thing about Amazon is they don't care if a customer clicks on your product organically, right? Or through your advertisement. If your ads are driving enough sales, uh, essentially you're driving enough orders, you have a high enough ad conversion rate, you essentially have the ability to directly impact your own SEO against a particular search term. Right, so we actually use our ads to improve our SEO all the time. Um, now, the it's kind of two parts, right? So the advertising piece—that's what's giving us the number of orders per month, right? So it's just a math problem. The conversion rate part that gets impacted by what we do on the listing optimization front, right? So when we're coming in, you know, we're looking at a, a search term. Okay, if I'm converting at four or five percent, and the average, you know, conversion rate is like twelve percent in that category, it's going to be really hard for me to rank, right? So making adjustments to the listings until I get that conversion rate up is key. Um, but then at that point, it's just a math problem, right? What is our essentially cost per acquisition on a search term level basis? Uh, and then what is the number of orders per month we need to get to top of search, right? And so we have some, uh, some math that we run on our end to figure out what that number needs to be. Um, but we can then go through and say, okay, I need to drive 312 orders a month on X search term. For this child ASIN, it costs me $5 to acquire, let's say, you know, each customer on that search term. And now do I have the budget to support ranking on that, right, um, there? And at that point, then it just becomes, okay, how do I drive enough uh, orders on the ad strip in front to get myself to top of search? Once you're at top of search, now you also have organic sales that come in too, right? Because now your your uh, you're going to be in one of those first three rows organically, right? And that's going to increase the number of organic uh, sales. What is the, how do you calculate the number of orders you need for a search term? To uh, it's probably a little bit more complex. We've got like a little bit of a formula that we have on our end uh, here. I've, put, I've spent a number of years kind of figuring it out together. Uh, I'll say there are some third-party tools that'll give you kind of some estimates, right? Helium 10 has a version of it. Um, I think Jungle Scout has a version of it there, but definitely if you do some exploring, you can find some uh, some other companies that do will, will get you uh, a rough estimate. And just th think of it like it's not a perfect system, right? So it's like when you figure out what that number is, we think of that as a conservative number typically. So we'll be much more aggressive in our predict predictable uh, component of that piece, right? So if it tells me, you know, one of these tools tells me 100, I might try to do 300 orders right in my end just to make sure that I like I'm really factoring in how many it takes to, to actually rank. So, um, and working off of that idea of number of orders per search term, um, how can people find out how many orders they are getting per search term already? So great question. So you can do it, you can, you can pull out your ads driven at any point, right? You download your search term report uh, there uh, specifically, you know, when you're, when you're pulling your ads report, you want the ad report by search term. Uh, you wanna make sure it's a big enough time period. So 30 days is good, 60 days is good. Um, there just to get a good idea of like how many you're doing per month um, there. The other um, report that Amazon offers is like that search term report. Uh, 
in, under the brain analytics metric, you know, how they've, they've added that uh, search term impression report. That's what I'm talking about. Um, that one does give you some data by search term uh, there. You can also enter in a particular ASIN, right, to get a good idea. Uh, you can run some math to extrapolate, like how many orders you're getting on individual search terms through that report as well. That should factor in the overall number of sales, right? So not yeah. just the ads driven. Um, so I usually use a combination of those two reports. Yeah, because ultimately that's what matters. If you're getting 100 orders and it breaks down across these search terms, that gives you an idea. And then yeah. the idea would be to then calculate that what it will take for those search terms to for you to appear in the you top. Exactly. And then that would be the that would be a good because if you are already getting X number of orders on a particular search term and then you figure out what more you can do, then that's a much better jump than you know starting from scratch on a particular search term. Exactly. Exactly. It's not perfect, right? But it at least gives you a, a higher likelihood of success than if you're doing it blind, right? Yeah. So I want to go back to something you said at the beginning when you create your forecasting model. Your model indicated that the break-even would not be until month seven. So walk us through how you calculate that break-even. What do you define as break-even? Because it's, yeah, it's different for different people, right? So it depends, right? And it depends on how complex you want to make a forecast, right? Like you could make it at a high level where it's just things like your spend, overall revenue. We're not factoring things like COGS or you know your Amazon selling fees and things like that. Um, that's a helpful component. You know, it's it's not that complex. That'll allow you to figure out what you need from a spend to rev perspective. Assuming we're looking at like I have a sales target and I have a profitability target for my spend to revenue, right? Basically a tacos target. Um, there, that's the simplest version of it. Um, if you want to get more aggressive, right, you could build a full-blown PL against a forecast as well, where you actually factor in things like your COGS, you know, your uh, your FBA fees, your uh, you know, selling on Amazon fees, returns, things like that. Um, so we have done other instances where we'll build a, a forecast against a, a PL as well, right? Um, there. And so there you're gonna get a full uh, you know, you'll you'll get a, a proper understanding of like what your actual profitability is and all that jazz for Amazon, and you can kind of reverse engineer, okay, what do I want my spend to rev to be based on the PL, right? That's another kind of way of doing it. It's much more complex, um, but it is something that, you know, if you know how to build a PL, you can just watch some YouTube videos on how to build a PL. It's not uh it's not as complicated as as it seems. Um there, right? It's just some basic uh basic math. There's like templates you can get for that, right? Um already online um for, for a PL piece. But I'd say for the forecast, it just depends on how complex you want to be, right? But in the simplest version, understanding your spend to revenue, right? Or basically your tacos per month is like what we'll do on a, on a more basic level. And then you can obviously get more advanced from there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're right. The numbers can get confusing. So the true meaning of the break-even point for a business is how much revenue do they have to generate in order to pay all their overheads? So if yeah. you're spending... $10,000 a month and rent and salaries and, and, and another bits and pieces, then how much do you have to sell in order to make $10,000, which yeah. will leave you with $0 in your bank account that you can take home? 
Yeah. Uh, so yeah. that amount of sales is a function of your, you know, how much you pay to buy the merchandise, how much you pay to fulfill the order, uh, and how much you pay to bring the business to you. That's advertising. Yep. So uh, if you are, uh, of course, the biggest piece of the pie that takes away from every dollar you generate is the cost of the merchandise. So if something that you sell for $100, if you pay $30 to buy it, $15 to Amazon as commission, now you, you are left with 55. And now out of that $55, you, you um, pay say $8 for Amazon to fulfill it. Now you're down to 47. Then how much you're gonna spend in advertising? Right. Is is the question, which is an unknown. And and then you can project that based on you know how you're gonna manage the advertising. But anyway, ultimately it leaves you with let's say $20 per order. Okay, how many of those orders you're gonna get per month? Right. Or you should get in order to break even. That is the right way of calculating break-even point for a business. But when you are launching on Amazon, that goes out the window because you're not going to make money. <laughs> what you care about is for your advertising. So um, tell me what you what you think about my approach. Yeah. So what I do is, of course, you can forecast yourself up to Azul. <laughs> and bottom line, it's all a guess. So you don't know what's going to happen until you start doing things. So what I tell people is, People who ask, okay, well, what can I expect from this? You know, I can't just go in blind. I say to them, look, point one, expect to spend at least five to $6,000 a month for the first three months at the very least. If you want to spend a thousand, two thousand, it's not going anywhere. So you have to give it enough exposure. Yep. Number one. Number two, I say expect to generate for every dollar you spend in advertising in month one, a dollar in revenue. Yep. In month two, for every dollar you spend, expect that to be around a dollar and a half to two dollars in revenue. And then month three, for every dollar you spend, expect to see around three dollars, three, if you're lucky, four dollars in revenue. Now, if you go on this basis you know if you spend five thousand dollars you're going to generate five thousand dollars in revenue does that make you money no because no. you have yeah. merchandise you have to feed however it's going to get you ranked up it's going to put you on the radar screen and get you ranked up and then month two so on and so forth now the reality is if you make this the principle of your plan you are always going to be smiling because your uh, return is not going to be purely just on your paid ads. It's also going to be on organic. So your A cost versus take cost, so to speak. Your take cost will always give you more than dollar to dollar on month one. Will always give you more than a dollar to two dollars on month two, and so on and so forth. So, so I say, you know, save your time, make this plan, and then hit the road and then start watching the numbers and then start adjusting your plan. So uh, that's my take. 
uh, in terms of being pragmatic. What, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense, right? It's like uh, you're setting proper expectations, right? Which I, I like to use three months is the same time frame I usually tell sellers as well. I'm like, your first three months on Amazon are not fun, right? Um, for any any new, net new product launch, right? Um, I think what you're hitting that's important is enough spend is key, right? So like making sure you get enough clicks, uh, like ad dollars at the end of the day are just the number of available clicks that you're going to get, right? And so if you're doing less than a thousand clicks per month, which is probably what you get off like a 2,000, you know, maybe $3,000 a month in spend, you're not moving the needle very much, right? Exactly like you mentioned. So you need to make sure that there's a, enough ad spend baked in so that you can make an impact, right? Um, the ROAS improvement is, you know, it's not crazy, right? Uh, there it's it's still on the conservative end. So you're factoring in, okay, maybe this is a competitive category most of the time. So I'm gonna be more conservative. And then like you mentioned that organic sales bump, right? At the end of the day, that's the bigger impact of what you're doing from the advertising piece. But it's not something that you're guaranteeing with somebody that you're speaking to either, right? right. Um, there. So it's like anything else is just bonus. And so if somebody is okay financially with spending, like you mentioned, 15K over, over three months, right, with minimal returns from an advertising perspective, if that math still works for them and then there's organic sales on top, right, they're, like you said, they're going to stay smiley and, and happy because you're still... Uh, yeah. you're, you've lowered the expectations enough where they know, okay, if I just hit these minimum numbers, I'm okay. Uh, that's great. Cause you're not going to try to hit the minimum numbers, right? We're going to try to beat those numbers at the end of the day. Yeah. So I want to uh, hear your take on something else. External traffic mm -hmm. with attribution, as you know, you have brand referral bonus and all that stuff. So, um, Give us your take on external traffic timing. When is the right time? When is the that's a great question? Uh, yeah. Careful time. Put it yeah. Way. So brand, I call it basically brand building, right? When you're driving that outside traffic to Amazon, and it could be incredibly, incredibly effective. You know, branded volume. What that's gonna like Amazon has a very, very high degree of trust. So typically, outside traffic to Amazon actually converts at a pretty high rate. Um, even if you don't have a lot of reviews, right? Um, there, which I think is is huge. And so starting when you launch, if you can get even at the, the get-go, some branded uh some branded volume built onto your um to your product listings, that's gonna give you a little bit of a leg up when you're launching, right? And the reason for that is you start driving some branded traffic, you can run things like promos right um, there. You can also explain a lot more in the advertisements uh, leading up to, you know, that drive to Amazon, why they should buy this product, right? The other piece is you'll, you'll naturally start to get some reviews. So if we have a brand that's willing or enabled to drive some outside traffic to start, we love to encourage them to do that, point it to Amazon, um, because that's going to help us seed some reviews, right? And those reviews are really going to help us convert at a, at a better rate. Um, the next piece to consider is like, okay, let's say I've gotten a product. Now we're somewhat established. Um, I want to still use some outside traffic. You know, what's the best way to do so, right? And I think there's a couple different ways. Uh, one strategy that's worked really well is, you know, drive traffic to Amazon when you're running deals, right? So if you're going to run a lightning deal or uh, a best deal or something, for example, uh, like we did this on Prime Day, we ran an email blast with one of our brands where we did six, uh, what we do, we did $250,000 in sales off a single email, right? That basically drove to our 
uh, hey, we're having a lightning deal page. At this point, that product's really established. Uh, but we sent it to a list of like, I don't know, 20,000 people and we did great, great volumes, right? Just driving that traffic directly to Amazon through there. So uh, basically what I call like promotional timeframes, great place to drive outside traffic. Uh, can also be really good on deal days. So if we're talking your prime days, your uh, Black Friday, Cyber Monday, you know, Mother's Day is coming up, right? Being able to drive outside traffic to your listing can work really well um, there. And then I'd also say like, during times that you are, let's say, spending a lot on Amazon PPC, that can also be a good time to pair that with outside traffic spend as well, right? So that you're you're really repeating the number of impressions you can get, right? You might serve somebody an ad on Facebook, and then they go to search for maybe that category of items, and you're also showing up prominently in on the non-branded search terms for that on Amazon, right? And that dual combination can really help, uh, especially if you're running DSP on top of that. Now, like an, another pro trip, pro trick. Pro tip uh, is uh, we will sometimes run like a, like if we're running a lot of outside traffic, we might set up a DSP retargeting viewed but not purchased as well. So that now they're getting hit with a Facebook ad that drives them to our listing. Maybe they convert, maybe they don't, but the ones that don't convert, they now get served an Amazon DSP ad as well, right? So that funnel starts to build and we can hit them on retargeting. There's a lot of different ways, but I'd say Product launches are great. And then concentrated deal times are great, right? Um, times to run outside traffic. Now, um, there is also a danger in driving outside traffic because outside traffic, if you think about it, anybody who's searching something on Amazon is there to purchase something. So they mm -hmm. are potential shoppers. But anybody who is clicking on a link to that sends them to Amazon listings, not necessarily a shopper, at least not yet. Uh, 100%. Yep. So therefore, it is more likely that you're going to have less people converting from uh, your external traffic than uh, on-site traffic uh, on Amazon. So therefore, uh, I've heard different opinions about it, but it is quite possible that you may drive external traffic that converts at less a lower rate and therefore drag your organic ranking down. Yeah, and I mean, look, I think... The overall conversion metric impacts your ranking, but not by as much as you think, right? Amazon really cares more about customer search journey um, for ranking. So someone's searching for protein bar, clicking on my product from that customer journey, right? When they clicked on protein bar uh, and then them not converting through that, that impacts me a lot more. But if Amazon just sees a lot of outside traffic to a listing and they're going directly to a product detail page, directly to a storefront, there's no like keyword stuffing that's done. That's not really going to actually hurt my ranking. Um, in fact, if I you know am able to drive that outside traffic, Amazon sees a spike in sales velocity. That's actually going to uh, artificially inflate my organic rankings across the board. Yeah, I've heard that too. So yeah. uh, I've heard that uh, those who drive external traffic see their their listing rank up. Right, yeah, and even it's though it has no sales. keyword focus, right? Right. The problem is if you're trying to keyword stuff it, and now Amazon, you're trying to trick Amazon, but you're driving that outside traffic and it's converting at a lower rate. That's where it would impact your SEO, right? But if you're doing it properly, it shouldn't impact your your SEO. Um, and explain to us what keyword stuff uh, stuff yeah. is. Yeah. So that's like uh, you know, search find buy, right? That was something that was like really hot. You know, I'd say like a year ago, two years ago. Um, and basically what people were doing uh, here is you would drive outside traffic, usually to some sort of like 
gifted audience, right? And it would basically be like, I want to rank on protein bar. So you'd have those customers, you either send them a link that would in the link, have someone do a search for protein bar so that when they made that purchase, right, they were kind of getting the customer journey part built into the keyword uh, or into the, the, the direction. The other piece would be like, they might tell somebody to they might tell a customer to like, hey, do you want a free product? Here's how you get the free product. Go to Amazon, search protein bar, look for this item, buy this item. We'll give you a free you know, gift or something like that, right? Which technically is against Amazon's terms and conditions, but it doesn't mean that people don't do it, right? People are still going to try to get aggressive uh, on Amazon there. And so that strategy, while it could work, could also not benefit you if you were trying to keyword stuff, but then you were sending it to an audience that didn't actually purchase, that's where it would hurt you in the long run. Yeah, yeah. So just drive the external traffic. Don't mess with the the keyword uh, manipulation, so to speak. Yeah, just and send it to your list. you will automatically rank up. Exactly. Yeah. Great. Thank you, Daniel. Oh, you, you are like a, an energizer bunny kind of, uh, you know, Amazon guy. <laughs> I, I like to win, baby. We got it going. <laughs> <laughs> I can see that. So uh, it's a great conversation and we can go on forever, but uh, we want to get to know you a little bit. So tell us, where did you grow up? Uh, I originally grew up in uh, in New York. Uh, then I moved to California when I was a uh, sophomore in high school. So I've been in uh, either LA or San Diego since then. So growing up as a kid. So tell us, because you, you were in digital marketing. And then you found this straight up growth. So that means that you are a risk taker because you decided to chart your own course in life, said, I'm going to do this. So when was it your, I want to know when this started, your early experience as a kid of yeah. trying to sell lemonade, so to speak. When was so, Yeah, that? literally, I uh, when I was in high school, I used to sell candy like in school. So I'd go to Costco and I would buy the big box of like prepackaged cho- like chocolates or whatever. And I would literally walk from class to class, but I would sell like candies for a dollar uh, even when I was in high school, like on the way to uh, to my other classes and stuff. So I've been doing this for a long time, I'd say. Uh, I tried to start it out. I, I mean, where did that come from? I mean, I guess I have two questions there. First of all, uh, where did you get the idea to buy something uh, to sell and make a profit and then why candy why yeah honestly i think i heard one of my friends mentioned it and i was like i always wanted to make money honestly like i grew up my my dad's an immigrant right we grew up uh you know i'm first generation technically uh here we didn't grow up necessarily with a lot of money um there but i always wanted to figure it out right i knew i was going to figure it out at some point and so candy was just one medium uh even when i moved to san diego i sold makeup door to door right uh, that was my first job it was just makeup yeah literally hustling whatever i could do uh what to, did your dad do by the way uh he worked in like hotels and stuff um there so he kind of so he wasn't in business he wasn't doing any buying selling no 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 i just kind of figured that was a way to go uh for me it's like learn a skill set and then start a business was what i really wanted to do um there and was money your driver I think helping my family was my driver. Money was a medium to get there. But like, I knew like, okay, I was going to have to help my parents pay their rent eventually. Right. And like those kind of things. Right. You know, I am the retirement plan. I mean, there's other kids, but I knew I would be part of that 
process, right? So helping people is really what it turned into. Um, money was a, a result of that, I'd say, right? Like, you know, it, it comes from it, but the goal is like, how do I help? And so starting a business, right? It's like one of the ways I can help essentially. So this is very, because I, I always am curious about what is the driver because the driver is what, what drives everything, right? So what, what is the driver? And I rarely see money being the driver for people. And in fact, those who gravitate towards money, usually they don't make it. Uh, but in your case, you even have a, even because you hear all kinds of answers, but there's always a vision somewhere. There's always a vision. There's also the environment. So here you are, you actually did not have an entrepreneurial environment. You had an environment of, you know, hard work, uh, you know, adapt, you know, being an immigrant, you are adapting to a foreign environment, right? So, yep. and then you are a product of that environment and, and your driver was to help, yeah. really. Yeah. And uh, that, that's a very noble, noble driver to me, frankly. It's better than uh, having a vision. And doing it's, it well. Uh, it's my superpower, right? Like for me, it's like, it's what allowed, has allowed me to have vision, which I think is really important. Like even my, even my first Amazon job, I remember uh, I didn't make that much money, but I remember like telling my brother, like he was in LA. I'm like, you got to come down and we got to, you got to start working at this company too. Cause like, this is going to pay off for us in the long run. Right. Uh, there. And so we just learned how do we become the best at this skill set, Right. Uh, and got pretty good uh, and it was a net at that point now I had the knowledge to start my own company right and at this point it's like got 30 employees you know we're growing really quickly like it's uh it's fun times right but it all came from wanting to help people eventually uh, essentially yeah and that's exactly what you're doing I mean as a kid you wanting to help the family is now helping sellers and and doing it in a way that really uh, keeps you on the edge so to speak exactly because that's yeah. the other thing so um, yeah, I mean, this is this is the part that I enjoy the most because I'm finding out what drives people and what motivates them. Is uh, it's never money; it's always something else. And and you 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 knew that because I I had a guest recently, and he just did did not have any idea about business or anything like that. It was basically you get a job. And that's, that's it. That's your life. Yep. And you study and then get a degree or whatever, but ultimately you get a job, you work somewhere. And then he ended up running a business because he was an entrepreneur all along. He had no idea. In yeah. your case, it was not a question of being an entrepreneur or anything. You were motivated by just sheer helping desire. And then that's carrying through. This is great. Uh, Thank you, uh, Daniel. So tell us, how can people reach you? Yeah, thank you for having me on, Nick. And you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, you know, Daniel Tejada. You can also reach out to us on our website, straightupgrowth.com. Great. Thank you for being here. It's very valuable information. I love the conversation and your energy. Thank you. Thank you, Nick. Appreciate the time. And, and this brings us to the end of another episode. And I'll see you on the next one. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the episode and share it with someone you think would benefit from it too.